Hello, and welcome to the Newton Knowledge Podcast. My name is Mark Singer, partner at Newton One. As always, I'm here with Stephen Target, partner and principal of our firm. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for asking. The Newton Knowledge Podcast is intended to complement our Newton Knowledge webinars by providing meaningful content to our valued advisor community and generally anyone interested in learning more about sophisticated insurance-related topics focused on estate planning and executive benefits. During our podcast, we focus on discussions on topical issues that will provide you with unique insight into the people, processes, and products that make our industry so critical. We will occasionally also highlight individuals who have been meaningful to Newton One and therefore have contributed to helping us serve our valued clients. Newton One is a national life insurance planning firm delivering insurance solutions structured to help clients and their advisors engaged in solving estate planning, wealth transfer, business succession, and executive benefits challenges. We are a member of the M Financial Group, offering our clients access to the nation's most prestigious insurance carriers who develop innovative products available only through our network. Today, Steve, I'll let you kick off our guest, and we're super pumped to to talk with David. Great, Mark. Thanks for that introduction, and I've got to say that I'm I'm really excited about today's podcast. A little bit, I think, by the way, a background on how we got to where we are today. I think the article that we're going to reference today was dated October 15th, and we pulled up, up on our computers and dialed into wealthmanagement.com, which is a, a valued source that we look for content and information related to our uh, our planning. And the topic came up, uh, the article was titled 10 Estate Planning Lessons from HBO Succession. And so this article caught my eye because I happen to be a big fan of the HBO Succession series. But it's also uh, directly related to what we do on a regular basis with our clients. We work with a lot of family-owned businesses. And uh, as we all know, working with family-owned businesses, particularly in the succession uh, planning process, there's always interesting dynamics. And so as this series was rolling through, I always kind of referenced in my own head, and until it was put together in, in, in this article, I wasn't able to, to pull everything together. But we're going to cover topics today such as, you know, who are you going to transfer your family-owned business to? You know, how do you deal with the, the dynamics of, of different personalities within the, within the family? Some of those are direct, some of those are indirect. Some of those don't come about until uh, conversations begin to occur. Uh, and then ultimately where we get involved is, you know, is, is there an application where life insurance professionals can participate? Uh, and in many cases there are. So again, I'm really happy to have our guest today, David Lenock. David, we've spent some time uh, working through today's podcast and again, reading the article and, and enjoying the uh, the series as it as it rolls out. I think right now we're in the middle, or I know right now we're in the middle of, of the third uh, session of, of the series. So David Lenock is a senior editor for wealthmanagement.com and Trust in Estates. He's a, an attorney admitted to practice in New York, writes about general off planning issues. And he also hosts a, uh, a really well done, I would advise anyone to listen if they haven't, he also hosts another podcast that's titled The Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. So that one's available on Apple and all the major podcast platforms. So I would, I would ask anyone who enjoys this podcast to listen to David. He's done a really great job with that. So, David, welcome and thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. I'm really uh, excited to, to talk about this. Super. So I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the series HBO Succession is a, uh, in my opinion, is a very entertaining series. It, it's fun, but it also does give us some insight into what could or what actually may transpire within family-owned businesses. So those of us that are in the field find this quite interesting. 
What we're going to do is we're going to roll through the 10 lessons that David's identified. We're going to try and tee it up a little bit and then let David respond to what he was trying to accomplish with each lesson. So the first lesson, it was titled, Families Are More Than Just Blood. And so I guess the, right, the way I would position this, Dave, is Roy family, uh, as any anyone who's watched uh, the series knows, it has a majority ownership uh, in the publicly traded business. The business is known as Waystar. Waystar is a conglomerate. Uh, in the business of media, entertainment, parks, and cruises. But as a publicly traded company, and certainly as as many family-owned businesses, there's a number of stakeholders, and whether they're family members, other parties, employees, uh, even stockholders. And so all the decisions that take place here that we think about a quote-unquote family-owned business are impacting other people. So I guess the question is, or, or comment is, you know, when we're dealing with the transition of a company, there's a lot of different parties that are involved. And from a planning perspective, the term family may also have been expanded. So when you when you started off with this first lesson, is that in part what you were referencing? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people still hear family. And the first thing that, that jumps to mind is this sort of 1950s era, like man, woman, 1.5 children in a house in the suburbs kind of idea. Definitely wasn't even true then, but has somehow sort of persisted. And, you know, in this modern era, the idea families have become just so much more complex than that and much more complexly blended, I think, is sort of the industry term we use for the blended family. Just think about marriage and divorce being much more popular, right? Just more people get divorced and remarried, and that just complicates things on its own. And that's before you get into the idea of how the kids are getting divorced and remarried, or maybe the increasing acceptance of not being married at all and just defining your relationship in other ways or having multiple people in a relationship. And again, these are all things before we get into the ideas of chosen families, where maybe there's an LGBTQ kid who is not necessarily accepted by the larger family, but has now chosen a group of friends and colleagues that is their new family. And these are all equally valid aspects of family that need to be taken into account when, when you're you know looking at this. And it's hard to you know, and they may not be the first things that jump to mind when someone just hears the word family flat out. Yeah, so the recognition is is um, a, a lot of what we're trying to bring the attention to here. Lesson number two, mind the steps. As we think about family dynamics, um, we all know that sometimes family dynamics can be emotional. It can certainly be complicated and become potentially more complicated when there's internal conflicts. And so I guess the, the way I thought through this lesson with Dave was, you know, regardless of the, the reason for the conflict, whether that conflict is known or not known, whether it's recognizable or not so obvious, it's best to bring these topics out in the open. So uh, having families and, and business owners recognize that conflicts may be inevitable, but that open, honest discussions are important is kind of the way I was interpreting what, what you were suggesting here. And so I guess my question is, is that correct? And if it is, are there any particular steps that you know, you've experienced as an estate planner that can potentially help families avoid such conflicts? Yeah, so this one um, was brought up sort of by the role of Marsha in the show, right? the, the stepmother. Um, and obviously, like the step family being hating, hating each other is sort of like a, a cliche, right, is all this time. But a lot of cliches are that for a reason. And so this is just one of the many reasons that people can, be, can fall into conflict. And communication is the obvious answer. I could answer every question you're going to ask me today with, oh, communication is the answer. Oh, be open, be, you know, talk amongst the family. It's always the answer. It's also the hardest thing to engage in for a number of reasons. But I think the first thing here is, is to realize this idea that there, there, not only are there problems that you can identify, but there are also problems that you can't. And that just be cognizant that things may come up. 
and try to be cognizant of what the connective tissues are in, in any given family, right? We just got done talking about how families are becoming more complexly blended. And you look in the case of the Roy's, you have to look at what actually brings these people together. For some of them, it is blood. But for some of them, there's maybe one person or one business. And that's the only reason that they're in each other's orbit at all. And otherwise, they have nothing in common. You have to think of, especially in an estate planning context, well, what happens if that aspect of their relationship is then just removed, right? It dies or the business goes somewhere else. How does that then redefine these people's relationship? Because they have to do it now on the fly and likely while after having experienced some sort of trauma. And so the cognizance of what this process is going to look like and the idea that it's just going to be messy no matter what is a really good first step towards sort of being as prepared as you can for this sort of thing. And Dave, I think transparency is a huge factor in that as well. As advisors, whatever you may be consulting on, estate planning, insurance, finances, real estate, whatever it may be, similar to you know a relationship, tough conversations are inevitable and having them at the appropriate time is imperative. And I think it's a good segue to the next lesson. First generation wealth creators can be uh, particularly troublesome. So Logan Roy is a, an immigrant American dream like the godfather, but I guess I would say legal for the most part. <laughs> for the most part. Um, yeah. Uh, I, so I just finished up to season two, so not sure how, how three goes, but I'm looking forward to it. But so far, there's, there's some legality issues going on, but for the most part, legal. So the very qualities and characteristics that have made Logan such a fortune are also some of the reasons his relationships with his kids aren't, let's say, ideal or the best at times, and it creates somewhat of a disconnect or, you know, who should be next in line, even if it's one of his kids at all, which it's alluded to multiple people outside of the family as well. So uh, I guess in your words, why do you believe it's imperative to have tough conversations sooner than later uh, in a healthy relationship from an advisor perspective? These first generation wealth creators, or I mean, we could just call them family business owners if we want to use a term that sounds a little less like a CPAC talking point. But <laughs> it's the immigrant story, the tales all the time, the actual American dream, right? They come here in Logan Roy's cases from Scotland, I believe. But it does not necessarily be an immigrant. It's just anyone who comes from less and then creates more. A lot of times, the sort of the, the pattern is I'm gonna I'm doing this for my children. I, I'm throwing my entire life into this business so that my family can have a better life, and that's genuine at the time, normally. But as time goes on, the necessary realities of creating a successful business, you end up this creator ends up spending a lot of time in the business and not a lot of time with their family. And so, even though they're doing this nominally for their family, at a certain point, there's a shift where the business becomes more important to them than the family, even if they don't realize it. And and a lot of that is because now their identity becomes tied up in the business itself. And this is a very difficult thing to unravel because they likely don't recognize that. They love their family. They did this for their family. You'll hear that refrain over and over. And it's not untrue. They're not lying. They've sort of gotten so tied up in the business that it becomes difficult for them to then let go and separate what the best for the business is versus what's best for the family. And furthermore, it just becomes really hard for them to even think of the business in a way that doesn't include themselves. Because again, their identity has become so tied up in it. They are the business. The business is them. And whether that's actually true or not depends on the person. But more often than not, it isn't. And what's best for the business is for that founder who eventually stepped away. But a lot of times they're just not even capable of thinking about that because that's not the line of thought that made them so successful in the first place. That's a great point. And, and it's another perfect segue to the next lesson. Time is undefeated. So having those conversations sooner than later for the reality for all of us and, and being in the insurance business, we unfortunately have to have these conversations um, a lot is time's undefeated. Now, when you're going to go, we don't know, but we can plan accordingly and put assets in certain uh, vehicles and, and areas to help get to your goals and objectives. And I guess with Logan Roy being the individual who he is, is 
extremely capable CEO at times and then, you know, can't decide if he if he needs to go to the bathroom or not. You know, having that conversation very delicately is is a tough thing to, to do. So I guess what are your thoughts on articulating that to someone who has created this huge fortune, you know, their baby essentially. And, you know, things are great now, but they may not be great 10, 15 years down the line. So, yeah, this is, I mean, an exceptionally difficult conversation to start. I think I think most normal people would equate this to non-business owners, sort of the taking the keys away um, conversation, except this is sort of magnified because the, the people, your grandparents who you're taking the keys away from don't have their entire identity tied up in their car necessarily. But, you know, in, in this case, it, it's better to do it much sooner when you can when you can sort of appeal to logic and better business sense. So, you know, try to do these things when someone is in their 40s or 50s, long before they start to get insecure about their mounting sort of lack of capacity or their fear of death. And especially long before any of that actually starts manifesting and making things even more difficult and also more open to legal challenge, which is another major component of all this, right? Any plans that you put in and or you try to enact when someone is already showing signs of lack of capacity is just a wide open sue me sign basically on them for whoever doesn't like them. Lesson number five, Dave, is family isn't always the best choice to lead a family business. And so you know, as we work through uh, and as the Roy's work through, in some cases, this is uh, easy to recognize, it may be difficult to execute. In other cases, maybe parents are clouded um, with unreasonable assessments of, of their family members. I think what's interesting in the succession series is it seems to me like Logan early on kind of gets the idea that he's either not sure or he feels like maybe nobody is prepared to take over the family business. So are, are there any lessons as, as we go down this path that business owners, the founders can take away that can be potentially applied to future leadership choices? Yes, I mean, this is the main conflict of the show, right? And also, I think this is sort of like one of the most useful things the show illustrates is this idea that the idea of a family business doesn't necessarily mean that the family runs every aspect of the business. It can be, you know, the family can still be involved in the business without being in charge necessarily of the business. And a lot of questions, sometimes the question people come up with about this show is like, oh, does Rogan Roy love his children, right? And I think the answer to that is clearly yes, because he still maintains this idea that he wants to pass the business on to them. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about, uh, you know, minding the steps and, and these things, you know, this idea of I did it for my family. That's true. He did it for his family. He still thinks that. And that's why he's maintaining this fantasy that, some that one of these three, frankly, idiots that are his kids, all of which whom are completely incapable of running this business in, in their own specific ways, maintains this fantasy that, oh, well, this is why I built the business was to eventually hand it off to one of my kids, even though he no longer wants to do that. And none of these kids are capable of actually doing it. So there are many other ways if you have the sort of self-awareness or an advisor step in and listen, like you want to keep these kids involved. There are other ways other than actually being the CEO of the company. They can be involved in a charitable arm. They can be involved in a, on a board member sort of way. There's multiple other ways to keep the family involved. The best business decision for a lot of family businesses is just to bring in an outside CEO who knows the business better and is more just generally capable than maybe the son or daughter or whoever has just happened to be born first amongst the children. That's a great point. The lesson six is one that you actually reference in your article as being one of your, uh, your, your favorite lessons or maybe favorite moments. And it's the strength of the healthcare proxies and powers of attorney. As somebody who can draft documents and put together legal agreements, um, you would think that, you know, this would simplify things. But in some cases, it actually 
turns out to, to maybe overcomplicate things. Uh, and even in the, in the sense that some uh, family members may feel that the documents are overreaching or were put together as a self-serving kind of strategy for, for somebody else. And this would potentially create more conflict within the family. So t- tell us what you were thinking when you wrote The Strength of Healthcare Proxies and Powers of Attorney. So, I mean, this episode when, when Marcia like sort of flexes her muscle when Logan's put in the hospital and she just shows her ability because she has these documents in place to just completely shut out um, the rest of the family if she wants to and just be in complete charge. I think it's meant to be presented a little bit as sort of sinister, but I view it as like a really powerful application, a powerful demonstration of just how important these documents are. Because I think that a lot of it, when you talk about estate planning with people, a lot of discussions around estate planning end up necessarily being discussions of wills and trusts, especially in the, the aspect of wills. People think, oh, I have a will, I have an estate plan. And the reality is the will doesn't necessarily do that much. A lot of times that these other documents, your healthcare proxies, your living wills, your powers of attorneys can have so much more impact on how your end of life planning actually shakes out than your will does. And I, I joke, I, I've spoken with, with estate planning attorney colleagues and sort of the old school paradigm of how you would sort of charge a client would be you would charge them X amount of money for the will and then you would throw in these other end of life documents. But the reality of how important these things are generally is actually the opposite. You should be charging them for the end of life documents and throwing in the will. And so that's why I love this because it shows just how strong and how important these things can be. That's a good point. So so lesson seven, my my favorite lesson, surprises are what causes fights. And and I, I think this is it's a huge part of the at least the first series because when I was introduced to the family, Shiv and Roman, who have no interest in working for Logan or being part of Waystar, the company, they completely shift when all of a the sudden they're asked to sign a document that's going to put power into Marcia's hand, the stepmother. Um, and then all of a sudden they want a piece of the pie. Uh, this, that's where this whole you know, fight and the first season, how it transcends into other, other situations and issues. But uh, the other reason I like this is you paraphrase the Joker from The uh, Dark Knight, which is... Uh, <laughs> You know, people tend to remain calm when everything is going to plan, no matter how horrible the plan may be. So if the plan changes, you know, emotions fly. And that's, that's what we're witnessing in the first season. So would you say, and, and we're in a, you know, most, like most businesses, we're in a relationship business and emotions are, are part of that. But would you say when it comes to estate planning, removing emotion completely out of that equation is one of the most important pieces to effective planning? I would say that if that was in any way possible. I think, you know, when you look at the first, very first episode of Succession, right, you sort of are set up with, you know, Kendall is the one. They're literally going to his party to be named as successor. And Shiv and Roman are not thrilled about it, but they're also not like totally angry about it. They're still going to get all the money in the world. They don't have the hassle of running this business. They don't want a business. They don't want to run. But the second Logan second guesses Kendall as the heir apparent, all of a sudden the sharks are, you know, circling and everyone's involved and one of the things i kept asking myself as i was watching the first season of the shows is why does shiv and roman even want to do this like they don't want this job and yet they're fighting for it a lot of this is because it was a surprise there was a plan like you said like the joker you know when there's a plan people are like okay everything's going to plan and even if the plan is not perfect it's at least a plan um and then when it changes everything no longer going to plan this is we're off the rails the, the, the intention you know the, the tendency is to panic in this case, you know, it's not, which is not to say never change the plan, right? That would be insane. If a plan is, if plans are meant to be flexible, they're meant to be changed. But the idea is communicate that you're changing the plan and why. That's kind of what happens here with Logan. That's the big problem with how it's not that he changes the plan. It's that he just drops it on them with no explanation, no justification. I'm dad. You listen to me. I'm doing this. I'm not telling you why. And I'm dropping on you at the very last minute. And that is just the exact wrong way to do this. If you're going to change a plan, 
the best way to do it is to sit everyone down and discuss it. This is my logic. This is my reasoning. Because when this happens and people find out about it after the person is dead, then you get into this crazy back and forth of people projecting what the idealized version of this loved one would have wanted. And that's how you get into these weird fights that are, are never ending because they, this image of this idealized person is now metastasized in each person's mind. It's completely different in each person's mind and generally favorable to them. Whereas if these questions are brought up and you can say, hey, dad, why'd you do this? And dad's sitting there and can say, I did this because of this. There's none of that. There may be a fight right then. That fight will be far easier to resolve when everyone's there to actually have it than when one of the parties is a ghost. That's making assumptions on someone who's passed to make decisions for the next generation. I mean, that's got to be extremely tough. And, and who knows if you're right? Which brings us to, to lesson eight. Family fights are irrational. Agree 100%, especially when large business is involved in large assets. And it almost becomes, at least from my take, um, from Shiv and Roman and even Connor, the oldest, is it really even about the money or more so the power that they want to be a part of what their father created? And it becomes somewhat petty that almost like fighting over a toy. Like, no, this is mine because of this reason. If it, and it, it may not even make any sense. Like, like you said earlier, Shiv and, Shiv and uh, Roman, why would they even want to be part of the company of Waystar. They, they've been removed for, for such a long time. What, it, what is their real meaning behind being part of it rather than just saying, no, this is dad's, he left this behind, this is, I should be a part of this, I want, I want in. So is this a commonality you see or is it different family by family and is it easier to have more people at the, the table to mitigate this or less? One sole director and saying where things are going to be positioned after one's death. I generally like one sole director, I think, having any more than that. I mean, certain certain giant estates maybe could justify it, but having one voice is, is very powerful, right? Especially if that is a, sort of an undeniably trustworthy voice, right? In this case, whether this is common or not, I think this is shockingly common. Um, just in my own experience and more so in the experience of, of my colleagues and people I interview, you'd be shocked by how often big money estate planning conflicts, the money issue is resolved very quickly. The actual fight is over some weird thing, you know, some item, some idea of what this person was. Robin Williams' estate is a really good example of this, where his last wife and then his kids were not her biological children. So it's stepmom, stepkids. There's a lot of money involved. The money aspect of that death was resolved super fast. And then they fought for months over like his bicycle collection, which you know was worth $100,000, which is not nothing. But in comparison to the actual money that was floating around in that fight, it was chump change. And in this case, it's, I think it's a lot of times you see it with like, oh, dad's favorite chair. And I just think in the case of succession, the chair CEO is their version of dad's chair. You know, it's all about what dad thought of them. They want their ship wants to be recognized. Roman wants people to not think he's an idiot. You know, these sort of things that are far beyond just like, oh, I want money and power. They're going to have money and power no matter what. Staying in that, that fight conversation, we're going to finish off strong here. We have two lessons to go. Lesson number nine is sometimes a fight is inevitable. I guess the way I interpret this is, um, you know, re regardless of the strength of an estate plan or the disposition or the transition of business interests, it's certainly possible that not everybody's completely happy with the plan. And, you know, I, I think I would interpret this a little bit as any good compromise, uh, or in this case, any good estate plan involving a number of people, multiple constituents, is potentially going to leave everyone somewhat dissatisfied. Um, so knowing that a fight's inevitable, going in with that recognition, even with great documents and great plans, is it possible for families to move on? I mean, what's your takeaway from, from this lesson? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, knowing that a fight is inevitable and, and not more than inevitable, just like not 
weird, not not normal, right? Like this is what happens. And knowing that helps, first of all, helps people keep an even keel during the fight because they're not thinking that like, oh my God, our family is going crazy. It's like, no, everyone's family goes crazy like this. This is what happens. So it keeps sort of the fight less intense because it's sort of less surprising and everyone's sort of less shocked by the whole situation. But also it's the idea, a lot of times there's the, when you hear these big celebrity conflicts and these big estate fights, it's like, oh my God, look how this plan failed. There's a fight. And it's like, well, no, we live in a litigious society. I think if anything, sort of the, the, the Trump administration showed us that no matter the truth of anything or not truth of anything, people can sue and be sued for whatever they want. And then it can have it stay in court. And that takes time and that takes money. And regardless of what the ultimate situation, the truth or not truth or whatever of, of the situation turns out to be, time has been spent, money has been wasted, right? And so that's a lot of times what these conflicts roll down to. There could be perfect documents in place, but if somebody sues, those documents then get taken to court to be used. And that takes time and that eats up money. And that's not a failure of the plan. You know, those documents may have a prophylactic effect if someone knows they're in place and they know they're going to lose. But a lot of times they do know that and it just doesn't matter. They just want to sue. They just want to hurt somebody. They want to watch the world burn. They're not happy. They want to lash out. Sometimes they want to just, oh, I'm going to sue so that nobody gets the money. I want to waste it all in legal fees. And so it's these sorts of irrational things that, you know, the plans can defend against, but to some value, even like the most ironclad plan, they're still going to be, if someone wants to sue, they can sue and it has to play out. No matter how ironclad the documents are, that can happen no matter what. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the plan was a bad plan or that the plan has failed. It's just sort of the natural course of how this goes. And you finish off with an extremely important lesson, which is communication is king. And I think, I think that also speaks to the plan how the plan is communicated, when it's communicated, what parties are at the table when it's communicated. So is there an, a, a, a deeper lesson here beyond um, you know, what we all certainly would recognize that communication is king? And in this particular case, and I think you know, in, in any estate planning case, if everybody knows what the plan is, there's less of a, of a likelihood that there's going to be a challenge that so-and-so would have wanted to do this. You know, if they're not available or they're not around or they've already died and we're looking at documents, that's a much different conversation than having everybody there communicating, hopefully as openly as possible. So take us through back to the, the Roy's here and communication is king as the 10th lesson. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I mean, this idea of what mom would have wanted or what dad would have wanted or what ex-dead person would have wanted is sort of the genesis of fights that never end, right? Because it's not provable in any way. And it's too personal to ever really resolve. And the person's not there to resolve it. So that's one thing. Just having that communication at the beginning, you can kind of hash out undeniably what mom or dad or ex-person would have wanted. But even more than that, it adds an element of collaboration to the process, right? Where even if you get to a result that you're not thrilled with, if you had a hand in it, so just through talking about it or having input, you're less likely to be completely upset about it, right? You have played a role. You had a seat at the table. It maybe didn't go the way you wanted but you had your say already. And so that may, will make not completely make people not sue, but makes people less likely because, okay, well, this is the plan that I participated in. I had a role in this, and this is how it turned out. This is what the family decided. Where you get in trouble, is, as I mentioned before, with the surprises and when these, nobody knows the plan and it's just dropped in their lap by some guy in a suit who they never met after someone dies, and then that's where you really get the shock and awe and the crazy fights break out. And the other aspect of this communication being king is... We talk about a lot of problems. It's impossible to anticipate every problem that could possibly come from the estate, right? I mentioned earlier, oh, I want that to share, right? Sometimes the people who do that, they don't know that. They don't know. They haven't sat there their entire lives lusting over dad's chair. Someday I'm going to get it. 
That just struck them after he was dead. They never knew it until it was on the, right in front of them. And there's no way for a plane to anticipate that. But one way to anticipate that is to start these conversations. Because the thing about estate planning conversations, even though they're very difficult to start, because death, money, family, these are uncomfortable things to talk about. Once you start them, they have a knock-on effect. They, they snowball, right? And so even as the advisor, once you get the conversation started, that conversation will then continue when you're not sitting there amongst the family because now you've got the ball rolling. And that will then continue for years and years and years, and it will uncover a lot of these underlying issues that otherwise you would have never been able to anticipate, And no matter how good your document drafting skills are. That's really the most important part about communication is that it has this knock-on effect where it begets more communication and more communication down through the generations of the family that then helps you sort of anticipate and just cut off problems that you never could have anticipated before they happen. David, thank you so much for being with us today. We, again, we, we really enjoyed your article. We certainly like the series quite a bit. Um, maybe there'll be another one that you produce after uh, season three is completed. I, I don't know, but uh, that would be fun to, to read as well. And, and uh, you know, beyond the entertainment here, I think we all learned some, some great lessons, uh, at least the 10 lessons that you've presented us with. So thank you again for being with us. I'll, I'll throw it back to you and, and ask if there's anything uh, that you'd like to close with or are there any other thoughts that you'd like to share. Yeah, thanks so much. This has been a real pleasure, guys. In terms of closing thoughts, one of the things, you know, estate planning is tough to talk about. It's like you rolled up everything that everyone's greatest fears are, minus public speaking, into one ball and then said, okay, go. It's not unusual to have problems bringing this up. In my career, I found one good way to do it is through this celebrity sort of aspect, this TV show aspect, which is sort of like a little chocolate to make the pill initially go down easier to get the juices flowing, right? And then once the conversation has started, it's so much less scary. The important thing to remember here is that when you see high-profile estate planning things, most of the time, almost all the time, in fact, even if like the details themselves and the money involved is ridiculous money and the people are crazy, if you dig down and just look at like what the actual conflict is about, it's real normal people stuff that everyone fights over, right? It's, oh, I don't like my stepmom. Oh, I feel a little snubbed because I didn't have a say in how this turned out. Oh, my brother, you always love my brother more than me. In that way, these things, there's lessons to learn from all of these things that are much more relatable to normal people if you actually look past the silliness. That's great, David. Thank you again for being on. Thanks for having me on, guys. This was wonderful. The material and opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what is appropriate for you, please contact a member of our team. Sorry about that.